When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk here at Cleveland.com. This is a good one because we already recorded it and I know what it sounds like. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means will be along shortly. This is going to be your rapid fire Thursday. We got 10 questions lined up, and I just want to tell you the last three questions or so that we answered on this rapid fire, I thought was some of the best football conversation we've had. on this podcast in months, there's some kicker stuff that got really interesting. There's some short yardage stuff that we did early in the podcast. Actually, that was interesting. Um, there's, but at the end of the podcast, after the kickers, there was some red zone stuff that got really interesting. And there was some talk about our, ch- what, what percent chance we basically think Ohio state has to win a national title in the next five years that I thought led us to a really interesting place. So this is the rapid fire with our tech subscribers and then after the rapid fire, Nathan, Stephen, and I checked back in after the Wednesday night interviews. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure we bring you the latest news. So we talked to five Ohio State players on Wednesday night. We'll talk about our discussions with them, what was interesting, what was important, what we learned. But to kick this off, you guys know it. And it was like the most popular thing when we did our, hey, make our podcast better. You guys said you like rapid fire. So we're going to, I think, I think we'll do rapid fire at least three times a month and maybe it'll just be the Thursday pod every week. We'll see. Let's get ready for it. Me, Steven, Nathan, tech subscriber questions. It's Buckeye Talk rapid fire. All right. So let's get down to our first rapid fire questions here. I got 10 lined up talking about short yardage carries recruits at the game on Saturday night, Ohio state being a one seed. Are there any, uh, Concerns about losing non-conference games at home. We have a nine and three question, which I am an expert on. We have CJ Heisman momentum question about white pizza kicker stuff, red zone. And then is Ryan day going to definitely win a title in his career, but we will start off with some of the short yardage stuff from the three, one, two, who takes the first third and two carry. And then this is a related question. So that first one was from the three, one, two. Oh, it's the same person. I was like, Oh, these two third, these two third and two, Questions are related, but they're from the same person. So one is who takes the first third and two carry. The second from the same person is do they throw on the first third and two because of the everyone knows they want to prove they can get two yards kind of thing. So then they 
mix it up and tried to throw the ball. So it's from the three, one, two, Nathan asking about third and two. I think it's a short yardage discussion worth having. Where are you? I think if the first third and two situation doesn't happen or the first handoff on third and two doesn't happen until Trevin Henderson just happens to be rotating it, or I'm sorry, Mike Williams happens to be rotating in the game. That's who would get it. But I think it'll just be whatever running back is in the game on second down. We'll take the third and two carry. Steven, is there any reason to disagree with that? No, because as much, even if we want to talk about mine and what he might be able to do in short yardage, they're not just going to make him the short yardage back in terms of that. So no, it's just, I completely agree. It's whoever's in the game is going to get it Um, to the other part of that though. I think it just might depend on where they're at on the field because they threw it on fourth and one in the Rose bowl and got a touchdown out of it. Yeah. So it just might depend if they're on Notre Dame's 27 yard line in third and two, they might because they're throwing it knowing that they're also going to go for it on fourth down. I think we've been on alert for too much toughness talk. It, I don't really think I thought we all did a good job. I don't think we had too much toughness talk. We have had real discussions with Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson, Nathan, where like they have seemed to make the toughness short yardage conversation feel like it does matter to them. Do you think that's fair? I, I didn't want these conversations to be we're forcing a conversation on the team that is like, I don't know, man, we're just trying to win games. But I do feel like it's been more them to us saying, hey, no, we need to make sure that we have this attitude and this edge about the run game and short yardage to some degree. Sure. And I, th- I think it's a healthy thing for a team to go into a season wanting to maybe prove itself in that realm and wanting to, and knowing that it has to be better than it was a year ago at a third and two situation, whatever. Now it might end up being true that the 2021 Ohio state team needed to be better in those situations than the 2022 one will because if the 2022 defense is better, there's less penalty for not achieving that as there was in 2021, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that might end up playing out. We may get to the end of the year and say like, well, numbers tell you there wasn't a huge difference here, but look at how much better the performance was. And it'll be because the, the defense gave them more room for error. Not, I don't know that you're going to give them massive room for error, but just more. And some of that will even out. But I, I, I do think that there is something in what Kevin Wilson has said. I think it's a, it, it's, it's a message that he's been getting out there that he probably doesn't mean as much as he's saying in some way. Let me try to explain it. Because what Kevin Wilson's been saying is he said it, multi said it in the spring. He came back and said it again in preseason about there's you get to the end of a year and you've had this great statistical season, but you're still 10 and two. And the difference between a, a great statistical offense and a great offense that just achieves what it has to achieve when it has to achieve it, regardless of what the numbers say. And I think he would probably rather have the awesome high powered 40 point a game offense than somebody that has to grind out every yard with a cloud of dust. So I don't, he's not going to that extreme, obviously, but I think there is something to what he's saying that some of the numbers can be a little bit cosmetic, especially when you pile them up over the course of a year. And in those three games a year where your season or the game and in college football, often it's both can hinge on one play. You got to get the play. So let's make two predictions here related to this. And yes, 
where you are in the field matters, but we're just going to make blind predictions four days before the game. Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk. I mean, like, we are who we are. It's not based on knowledge, just based on throwing stuff against the wall. First, third, third and one, or third and two. I think third and three is that's far enough. To, it's a little different conversation. Yeah. So, Stephen, third and one or third and two? What's the call? Who gets it? And what direction does it go? Play action to Travion Henderson to the right. Roll CJ Stroud out. Um, far side of the field. You've got Jackson and, and uh, Marvin in the game because they're in 12 personnel. Marvin's going deep. Jackson's a short drag, and they hit Jackson. So fake like a – so CJ's rolling left, like yeah. a fake toss right, roll left. Yep. I thought maybe – I thought you were maybe going to drop a little Cade Stover action on us. But okay, you have the 12, maybe Cade underneath. It. But I, I like it. I mean, I, I like to keep the tight ends to block in yeah. and run Marvin and Harrison – I mean, Marvin, Marvin and Jackson uh, – in that way. Okay. That's a very specific prediction. That's exactly what I was looking for. I will say Trayvon Henderson runs to the left side and you put it on Paris Johnson and Donovan Jackson. Um, but they run the ball. I think it is. I think it would be like a purposeful. We're going to, we are, we're, we have to win the game first, but we are trying to show something here. Nathan, what's the play? Yeah. I also thought he was going to say Stover. I was like, that's going to be one of the 12 Stover catches. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say Trevian Henderson run to the right. I'm going to say that when you only need the two yards and you want to prove a little something, maybe you you lean on the, the veterans, especially a guy in Dewan Jones who maybe has a little bit of that chip on his shoulder. So go behind uh, uh, the Jones brothers, the Jones. Uh, we tried that, right? The Jones us brothers. Yeah, we tried. So it didn't work. Uh, go behind those guys, get your two yards and, and move the chains. OK, I- I think I understand. I, I get it. The whole prove your tough thing, but just the way Ryan Day talks all the time, I don't know if this is the game to do that. I think he often talks about with these early season big time games. Let's just go win the game, and then we can come up for air in a couple of weeks when hmm. you know, we have a chance to do stuff. So that's cool. It'd be nice if on third and one, third and two, they just run down somebody's throat with Trayvon Henderson and Ryan Williams. That's cool, but this is the best passing offense in the country and they're just going to do what it takes to win the game. And they've got 11 more times this season to prove they're tough. That could really, really be right. That could, that could be the exact right read yeah. and result of this, that, that, that there could be a lot to that line of thinking, Steven. But there's, let's also remember that when we say prove their toughness, I don't even, we're not completely talking about proving it to us. It's also about them proving it to themselves. So there's also a benefit to to going out and doing it and proving to yourself that you can do it and then now go out and repeat that in those situations again. But I think what Steven's saying is correct, too. So then the second prediction is, how does Mayan Williams first enter the game? In what way do we see him? When is it? What does it look like? And I'll say, I think Mayan Williams takes the fourth series so that's that he comes out on first down the fourth time ohio state has the ball nathan i think if ohio state has had two pretty long drives to start the game i think it might be the third series but i was going to say third or fourth steven i was going to even take a safer route and say the first series of the second quarter 
Okay. My in place. Just because sometimes these first quarters for Ohio State, you have two series and then you're kind of done. Yep. Just because the other team tried to hold the ball. And maybe Notre Dame gets the ball first and it's yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So we're all in the same general region with the idea of it. We'll see what the specifics come down. But that's envision how that's how we see Mayan. We don't envision seeing Mayan as, hey, it's short yardage, put Mayan Williams in the game, because they have said that's not what they're doing. So it goes back to the original question. Our original answer is who gets the ball on third and two if they run it? Whoever, whoever has that series, whichever tailback's already in the game. Recruits, Stephen, you were asking about this on Tuesday from the 727. With so many recruits who are going to be at the game, will the coaches be distracted? If they are not distracted and with so many recruits, will the recruits feel like they didn't get enough attention? It's Ross from Tampa. It's funny. His phone spelled corrected so many to Soapy with, <laughs> with Soapy recruits. And then he came back in and said, I meant so many. So um, now I'm going to have this vision in my head of just all these guys walking around like with bubbles sticking to them. So that's great. Steven, this is not new, but I, hey, guess what? You have to balance recruiting and winning when you have a big game at home. Mm. Ha ha. That's how this works. But also, it, it, there did seem to be a sort of a vibe from Ryan Day that this may be the biggest combo they've had in the day era of big game and huge number of dudes coming in. Like a lot of guys are coming, right? Yeah. I was talking to somebody last week about this, and they said, this is the biggest weekend since the 2016 Michigan game, which was a pretty big game as well. With all that being said, to answer the first part, no, it won't be a distraction. To answer the second part, no, it won't be an issue for recruits because Day says this a lot. Your visits to check off certain things. And if you're coming to a game day visit, you're not coming to hang out with your potential or future assistant coach. You're coming to see the atmosphere. You're coming to see what things look like on Saturday. Now, maybe on Sunday when the coaches aren't worried about trying to win a football game, they'll come hang out with you, or maybe you'll get a chance to you know, check in with guys on Friday. But game days, you're there to see what a Saturday in that city, on that campus, in that stadium is like. And a lot of these, these recruits know that. So it, it shouldn't be a distraction whatsoever. It's just more – Mark Pantone and his staff are going to be running around all over the place, pregame and postgame and at halftime. They've gone through this before. There's been a lot of discussion over the years. And I do think it's kind of interesting of like how important is it to win the game when all the recruits are here? Because it, mm-hmm. it just looks cooler when you win. But also, guess what? It's important to win the game because you're trying to win the game. You don't win yeah. games to get recruits. You win games to win games. But um, the idea of just we just want them to see that it's cool and ryan day was very specifically made this point he said this twice um but and he said it about the players getting excited like the current players being excited for a game like this but also applies to the recruits i talked to them the other day about when you grow up and you're seven eight nine ten years old and you watch a game on tv on saturday night and you wake up the next morning on sunday and you're playing in the backyard and all of a sudden you're taking on the personality of guys that you watched the night before and you could see a couple players nod. And I said, well, that's going to be you. I try to remind guys of that every year when we play in environments like this. Nathan, that applies to the guys on the team. Wow, what an opportunity. But then it applies to the guys, the high schoolers. You're next. Look. Hey, look. 
you're next. That's enough. As Stephen was saying, Nathan, that's enough. And there's going to be the 20 year anniversary of the 2002 national champs. And you're going to, all those recruits are going to see what it's like the way that you're a legend forever. If you win it all, they're going to see the huge crowd. They're going to see ESPN. They're going to see all the stuff and being cool is enough. Buckeye talk. Kind of like we do with this pod. It's like, we just, we just lay it out there, Nathan. Hey, we don't, I mean, like, we don't have to pay that much. We just, we just be cool. What's the plan? Be cool. Yeah, I think it's all about communication. I think it's all about having a plan. I mean, because clearly this isn't what they would do in a perfect world, maybe. Like, this isn't what they, or isn't what they usually do, as you've already said. But, you know, there's also something that everybody in that recruiting apparatus, when they're talking to players this week, when they're talking to players this weekend, when they're in Columbus, to be like, um, you know, if, you know, there's a, you know, this isn't a normal week because we're playing the, biggest game in college football this year like potentially or well we're certainly one of them like the one on the short list right that's what you would tell them like you know um you, you know you're not getting a a the one-on-one that you would get if you were here against arkansas state but it's because there is no bigger game in college football this week arguably no bigger game in college football for weeks of this season maybe the entire season we'll see how well how things unfold for both these teams but I think that's something you get to sell, like take everything that would potentially be a hindrance so that you would, you, that you think you have to explain and just explain it and, and show them that, um, you know, when, when you come here and are playing this game, we're not going to be spending time with the recruit that's coming in behind you either. Like Ryan day is going to be with you helping you win that game. All right. Quick break. When we come back, some talk about one seeds, and number one rankings with the Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Stephen, we talked about this in our preseason prediction when we were talking about playoff seeds, and we all picked Ohio State to be the, te- the two seed behind Alabama from the 5-6-1. Listening to the Monday pod, I think you're missing a very significant point. If Bama and Ohio State are both undefeated, we have to be the one seed. Bama's schedule is garbage. I think our schedule is fake tough, considering we get our toughest games at home and Penn State is not a, a whiteout at, at night. We are going to play a bunch of top 15 teams. They will play a bunch of three, four loss teams that are somehow in the 1725 range, but are only ranked because the committee is SEC biased. We should be the number one if both are undefeated. Nathan, is the texter right? The texter has a really good point, and it's one that I considered when I was doing my bracket, um, especially because if you look at my preseason top 25, like I said, I had Ohio State playing like, eight, nine, 10, 14. And there's somebody else in there, like so many top 25 teams. So, but when you look at the actual top 25, uh, not all of those things followed. Uh, people aren't as high on Penn state as I am, for instance, and, and some other teams. So that was what ultimately led me to just keep Alabama there. I think that um, I don't know that I would, if I go so far as to say there's an sec bias, I think that when Alabama goes out and flattens everyone, which they very easily could do with a schedule like this, because the committee also likes that. The committee likes game control. The committee likes dominance and the committee likes balance. And I also, as I was deciding between one and two, I thought there was still more chance that Ohio State could have a great year in spite of a defense that hasn't quite gotten there. And as we talked about, Alabama just looking like the more complete team going into the year. Steven, do you think there's there's a lot of – is it a compelling argument for the committee, Ohio State's better schedule? 
it's a yeah, it's a very compelling argument. I think we kind of came to that conclusion with Alabama, Ohio State, and, and Georgia that Ohio State's got the the most the toughest schedule of the three. It's just I put two SEC teams in the playoff, which means that both those two teams are going to have to play each other. And I think the committee will look at that and go, okay, the winner of that game is the one seed. Yeah, peach juice. It's about peach juice. Beating Georgia on championship game weekend carries the day. I could even see Ohio State being number one going into that weekend. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, Ohio State beats Wisconsin and Alabama beats Georgia. And it's like, okay, well, they just beat Georgia. What are we doing here? And you forget the fact. And listen, we all know the the points that the texters make it here are all right, right? How good is LSU going to be? How good is Ole Miss going to be? How Texas? How good is Texas A&M going to be? They don't play Georgia in a crossover. Their best non-conference game is at Texas in week two. But by the way, again, Alabama is just now entering this era of being willing to go on the road in the non-conference. They played all these neutral site games that weren't really neutral site games. They never did home and home. This is the beginning of their home and home, which is why they're playing Ohio State in 27 and 28. They're starting it with this Texas series. So even like Alabama going to Texas in week two is – a Hugely different for what Bama has done lately. But again, how good is Texas going to be? So I think, yes, Ohio State will have a better strength of schedule, but I think Alabama will be number one because an SEC championship game win as the last piece of information. And then I think, Nathan, you make good points about balance and control. Those things will already matter, but I could absolutely see like Ohio State being jumped. Ohio State enters it as number one. They get jumped by Alabama, but also it doesn't matter. Honestly, because especially if there's two SEC teams, they're not going to want to play them in the semifinals. So they're going to finagle a little bit anyway. And Bama wants to go to Atlanta and Ohio State wants to go to Arizona for the two bowl games. So whether they're one or whether they're two, that doesn't change. So I guess what it would change is, well, you know, maybe you, you get a tougher team as the three seed than the four seed. But I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a huge, huge deal. Although I guess it's possible that the third best team in the country in the playoff might be significantly better than the fourth best team, the way a lot of people are envisioning it. I don't know. Um, I think also uh, a side note, because I think uh, once in a while, an idea shows up in my face, my head place. And I'm like, that's like the most Buckeye talk idea of all time. Like we probably sometime in the next couple of weeks should do a preview of the 2027 Alabama Ohio state game. It's five years out. Instead of doing like five year look back, let's do five years look ahead. 2027, 24, 24, fourth year Dylan Raiola, probably not. So it's a quarterback <laughs> we don't know yet. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a whole okay. roster we don't know yet. But when does that ever stop, Buckeye Talk? Is there another Manning? Is there a middle I, school Manning that we I should think, be aware of for that podcast? How old will RJ Day be in twenty? I was just gonna say that. The, <laughs> the only the only person we be able to pencil into the, the two deep right now, and even that one's kind of iffy because he's from Georgia, is twenty twenty five commit Jonte Gilbert. So at least Ohio State's got a corner, you know. You know, I think Bradley Robinson will probably find some way to still be yeah, the long uh, college football. Thirty one year old long snapper in twenty twenty. <laughs> Yeah, I, we're we're close. Let's call Dylan Royola's dad and ask him if he thinks Dylan will be at Ohio State for four years and how excited Dylan theoretically would be to play Alabama <laughs> as a senior. Um, a, a partner question about being number one from the 440. We'll aim this at you, Nathan. How much does Ohio State have to beat Notre Dame by in order to be ranked number one next week? I think it's a 
it's a great question. Uh, Alabama, by the way, which who is number one, opens against Utah State at home. Yeah, so I mean, Alabama's going to win by you know as many as it wants. So for Ohio State, it, I mean, it's the number five team in the country that they're playing. I know it's at home. I know that there are people who think maybe Notre Dame is overrated, but I, I, anything over like three touchdowns to me. If you're if you're voting, so so the question is, how much would they need to win by in order so that they should be ranked number one, not that they will be ranked number one? I think the first question is probably only oh, like three touchdowns, but the second question, and for for it to actually happen, it might have to be more like forty points. So, like in my style of voting, I would definitely, I, I would probably in my head have, I'm going to vote the winner of Notre Dame Ohio State number one next week because it's the best game. They're the two best teams. And I probably might rank the winner of Georgia, Oregon, number two. And then Bama would be third for a week. Like the way that I used to do it after the Texas game. Yeah. Yeah. Or or whatever. Or they'll get there eventually. I don't know. Like, you know, again, it's, if if you're trying to be honest and it's, you know, and you're trying to do an honest evaluation, does it mean I don't think Bama, do I think Bama got worse? No, it's just like, what have they proven? What have they shown? What have they earned? I mean, you know, beating the number five team in the country for Ohio State, if they do it, that would be earning something. So beating number 11, Oregon, if Georgia does that in week one, that'd be earning something. I don't know that that you earn more points than beating Utah State the way I used to vote. But do you think but does there need to be a separation? Because I think because if you did a preseason poll, would Alabama been your number one? Yeah, because nobody's earned anything yet. Right. And exactly. But then if Ohio State squeaks by Notre Dame and Alabama just does what we expect i guess against utah state yeah there's still i mean i don't think you can say a complete evisceration of a worse team isn't some kind of accomplishment in and of itself no i just resume dominance resume voting it is people know how i vote it's fine i don't even vote anymore so it doesn't matter what i think but for you okay for your vote for your vote who'd you vote number did you vote ohio state number one or bama number one alabama okay what would it have to look like on both sides Bama, Utah State, and Ohio State, Notre Dame for Ohio State to be number one on your ballot next week because this is not a theoretical conversation. You're going to sit down on Saturday night or Sunday morning and make a decision. I mean, I'm assuming that Alabama just erupts on on Utah State and and maybe just lays like the the, the whole state is we know it's fifty six to three. Full. We get it. Uh, we know what it's going to look like. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the the Salt Lake. But is listen, dried by up. the way, Utah State actually is a pretty decent Mountain West team. Like it's not like they're playing Kent State. No offense, Stephen. Like it, like, uh, so again, I mean, we don't have to spend 40 minutes. It's going to be 56 to three. We get it. Right. Right. So like I said, like, I think like a, it's a good question. I, I think it's more, it it doesn't have as much to do with the score as it has to do with the way the game unfolds. I I think you want to see Ohio state on defense look like it is in control of the game for long stretches that it's it's winning with its defense not in spite of its defense and but i but that can even be a little bit tricky because i just don't know how good offensively notre dame's going to be to start the year yeah it's just hard because i mean if you're not careful you can start nitpicking notre dame as an opponent and then it's like yeah, okay that's yeah. reasonable but also if you're nitpicking notre dame what are you doing to the other 126 teams in the country yeah because they're fifth i don't know what to tell you but, oh, well, I don't know. It's like, do, do we want to play this game with Arkansas? Do we want to play this game with Oklahoma and NC State and everybody else? Like, what are we doing? So I do think you have to be careful because you can say, 
well, Tyler Buckner, and ah, they're really miss Avery Davis. And beyond Isaiah Foskey, who else is going to? It's like they're number five. They're number five. Number seven on my ballot. Right. And I think they are a little overrated. But they're number five. Five. (laughs) Five. I I think there there is also something to be said if, if, you know, if, if Georgia were to obliterate Oregon in a way that Ohio State doesn't obliterate Notre Dame. I there, there's I mean Ohio, Georgia had more number one votes than Ohio State did in the first poll by one. So I wouldn't discount that being in the mix. It could be it, it could be it might just really make it a more competitive race for the number one spot than we've had in any week for a while. It seems like there've been pretty clear cut number ones in my memory now for a while. And maybe you would get a true like dispute with like several votes going to each of those three teams. I think the bigger issue is Ohio State's a 17 and a half point favorite. So it's like the expectation that Ohio State's already going to, you know, have at least some level of a convincing win. It's already out there. If there were a seven and a half point favorite and they won by three touchdowns, I would agree with Nathan, but it's kind of already the expectation that they're going to win by three scores. So it's, if it's 42 to 10, I think Ohio State's number one next week though. Because then that's a combination of you want convincingly where the offenses does whatever everybody thinks the offense is, but also your defense showed yeah. up. Yeah, I think that's probably right. It is again. I think I think voters have to be careful with like Vegas stuff because Vegas is doing something different than what voters yeah. are doing, and if all of a sudden the voters voted them number five, if Vegas looks at it and says they're seventeen and a half point favorites, as a voter, I don't think you can look at a. 14 point Ohio state when we'll be like, ah, man, they didn't even cover. It's like, that's not your discussion voter because, you know, there's like three teams that are more talented than everybody else, but you, you have to get some credit somewhere and you can't lump Notre Dame in with Utah state. Right. So I'll be curious to see how it unfolds. And again, it doesn't matter. Thank goodness. But I hope the voters at least have a logical thought pattern to their vote, which I'm sure they will. Some Next. of us will. No, no, no. You will. Nobody else. From the 440, does Ohio State's history of losing non conference games at home concern you at all? So I think this matters, and we've detailed this. The Oklahoma series, they went on the road, they lose at home. The Virginia Tech series, they went on the road, they lose at home. Uh, the USC series, back in the day, they uh, lost both. The Texas series, back in the day, they won on the road, they lost at home. You know, like they. They lose these games at home. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's the Oregon. They lost to Oregon at home. So I just, I, it just makes me discount the home field advantage. Ohio State's home field advantage is you don't have to be on the road. You don't have to be in a road environment that might jack up that opponent, right? You don't have to be at Penn State. You don't have to be at Wisconsin. That's why being in Ohio State is good for Ohio State. I don't think that there's like Notre Dame is going to be scared off by shooting off fireworks during the introductions. I just, I just don't think that's how it works. So like, should it be a concern? That's not how I express it, Nathan. I just want to make sure that people don't think, Oh, you know what? I think this is a close game, but I like Ohio state because they're at home. Don't think about it. It's nothing. Look at the talent. I don't think being at home gets Ohio state half a point in this game because we have too much proof that these people can come in and listen. I don't think Ohio state gets tight, 
But every time Ohio State goes on the road, they're like, oh, we're going into the belly of the beast or whatever. We're going into the lion's den. That's what these other teams think, too, when they come here because it's exciting. And as long as you don't freeze, as long as you don't get scared, it's exciting. It juices you up. And frankly, sometimes Ohio State's used to this. And even the good teams, sometimes they aren't used to this. So it's cool. And you feel like you have an opportunity. So I just always try to make the point, Nathan, that it's a it's a nothing. So don't take it for granted. Sometimes you'd say, oh, they're at home. I like it. Just don't do that. Yeah, I'm also intrigued by what sort of a Notre Dame crowd is going to be in Ohio State Stadium or in Ohio Stadium for this game. Um, because you're obviously talking about a program that's not that far from Columbus and uh, probably a, a fan base that has the means to get into a game like this. I mean, it's a national fan base, the kind of game that those fans would maybe travel for. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I don't think it's going to be the one little sliver of – of Purdue fans that are up in the corner or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's probably going to be a, a, a chunk, not a, not a, not a majority or even a big minority, but, but a chunk. Which is just nice. Or you think affects the football potentially, because if Notre Dame jumps out to a lead, they're going to hear their 10,000 fans going crazy and be even more fired up. Uh, no, I think just more of it, it goes more to that kind of neutralizing effect you were talking about before that it's not really necessarily a, a, a huge plus or minus for Ohio State to, to be at home. Because obviously, I don't think there was a massive crowd of Oregon people here last year. And that's what got the Ducks into that game. I think it was just being able to run the ball wherever they wanted against Ohio State that got them into that game. I think if there are 10,000 Notre Dame fans, I think it will have some level of impact. It's part of why Ohio State's like going out of its way to tell fans, get here early, get here early, get here early. Because Ohio State fans in Ohio State have this tendency of like not starting the game off already, you know, on 10. They kind of wait to the game to try to get into it a little bit. And so if like there's not a lot of juice from the crowd and the Notre Dame comes out and they get the ball first and they go down and score a touchdown – and like all of a sudden, even if it's only 10,000 people, they're into it. And now Ohio State's 90K are just trying to play catch up. That's interesting to me. I do think, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, Ohio State fans. We can have a discussion about this all year. When Ohio State is losing at home, it feels, I think the crowd feels a little bit more like, I can't believe this is happening. Yes. Than, Come on, fellas, you can still do it. Mm -hmm. And you can feel, I can't believe this is happening. So, you know, it just is what it is. Because guess what? When Ohio State's at home, you can't believe this is happening because they're favored and they're supposed to win and they're very good at football. So I just, I just don't put a lot of credence into any of the home field stuff when you go here. Let's have a C.J. Stroud conversation. Stephen, from the 4-4-0, this seems like the game where C.J. Stroud can capture the early momentum for the Heisman. He's already the betting favorite, as we know. What kind of stat line does he have to put up in order to achieve that? What do you think, Stephen? Remember when Justin Fields came out against Nebraska in 2020 and his only incompletion is because Chris Olave got flipped on his head? Mm. That. But except it's not Nebraska. It's a top five opponent at a primetime game on ABC with the entire world watching. You think that's what it needs to be to take Heisman momentum, or you think that's what it will be? I think – a little bit of both. I don't know if it, it I, more of the, I think that's what it will be, but I think a little bit needs to just because 
he can set the, like Justin did that while also having to play catch up in the Heisman Trophy conversation because Ohio State's season got started late. CJ is already the betting favorite right now, and he gets first dibs at first say because Bryce Young's going to come here seven days from now and have his say against Texas. I do think that this is a this is a bigger stage. I mean, like the Alabama Texas thing is two big programs. Every, everybody is like, ah, Texas. I don't know. This is yeah. this is a little different. I, I'm not. You're, you're right. Bryce is going to get a shot, but I do think there's like a scenario where if CJ starts off great, it he's just the favorite all year. You know, until Will Anderson tears somebody arms somebody's arms off in, you know the iron bowl and then does it again in the Hmm. sec championship game or whatever. I just think, I I do think Nathan, there's, there's a chance for CJ to just sort of seize this and never let go. And, Oh my gosh, that guy threw six touchdown passes against Notre Dame is not impossible. And I think does that like, what, what does he look like to you, Nathan? Yeah. I don't think it has to be one of those perfect because this game is a multiplier. This game gets it when you're talking about your Heisman case, whatever you do, it's like a like in a figure skating, or whatever. There's like a degree of difficulty that gets added to this or or more diving. Right. Like last year, I'm just looking at last year's games. Um, 30, 24, 33, five touchdowns, no interceptions, 406 yards. That's that's what like not that? a what game was game. That? that was against Maryland. But okay. if he comes out and has a Maryland performance, 400 yards, five touchdowns no interceptions and does it against Notre Dame, it's going to seem like more than 400 yards and five touchdowns. It's going to seem like a little it, it's going to get magnified because you just did it against Notre Dame. And this is still a pretty good defense. Isaiah Foskey coming off the edge, um, the the Northwestern guy in the, the former Northwestern safety in the um, Brandon Joseph, secondary, Brandon Joseph. Um, I remembered Brandon. I couldn't remember Joseph. Um, they've got some talent on defense. And that's obviously what Marcus Freeman's background is in. So I don't think it's necessarily going to be easy to pile up a ton of yards and points against Notre Dame legitimately. But even if it even if it kind of ends up being easy, I think they're going to get credit. He's going to get credit for having done it against Notre Dame in a way that you don't get credit for doing it against Maryland. I just think he's in a weird spot where it's it's kind of Trevor Lawrence's because Trevor was kind of the favorite in 2019 where there's this. I don't know if he can be the exact same. There's got to be an element of where are you better this year? Mm. Cause like, like oh, saying- we already thought this about you and you just very quickly in one week, you know, outplayed all those expectations already. Well, I think what happened with Trevor Lawrence in 2019 though, was, was that he took a step back or seemingly took a step back. Yeah. He was throwing some interceptions and stuff early. It wasn't that he came out and wasn't great enough. It was, he came out and people were like, Oh, what, What's going on with Trevor Lawrence? And it turned out to be a little bit like cosmetic. Like he was fine, obviously. He get to the national championship game that year. So, and and again, if Stroud came out and had like a really good game against Arkansas State, and that was the first game of the year, that would be a scenario where maybe you're you're leaving yourself open. But because he's already the favorite, if you come out and have a like great game against Notre Dame, you're just enhancing the status you already have. Yeah, uh, Trevor Lawrence, to start the year, his first game in 2019, and again, we, we were witness to this because to, by the time we got to the Ohio State-Clemson semifinal in 2019, Trevor Lawrence talking about like 
hey, everybody thinks I suck now and I don't. I just kind of, you know, maybe didn't live up to people's expectations. It was kind of a thing by the end of the season, by the playoff. But his first game against Georgia Tech, 13 of 23, 168, one touchdown, two picks. That was his opener that year. Second week against number 12, Texas A&M, 24 of 35, 268, one touchdown, one pick. Week three against Syracuse, 22 of 39, 395, three touchdowns, two picks. So after three games, he had five touchdowns and five interceptions. So if CJ does that, he's not winning the Heisman. <laughs> right. Right. So it is like it's, it's, it's don't throw five picks in your first three games. You also don't have to throw six touchdown passes in the first half like you did against Michigan State. Really, any stretch you have like that probably takes you out of it. We saw it with Justin Fields in 2020. He was just laser show for the first, whatever, three, four games of the year, then stumbles against Indiana, and all of a sudden, it's gone. All right. This is a question that I am uniquely qualified to answer from the 614. This is, I, that, this is the question. There's never been a question on Buckeye Talk in the last several years that I've been more prepared to answer. From the 614. Nine and three. Lose to Notre Dame. Stroud has an off game against a good defensive mind, and Ohio State's defense isn't prepared. Two, Penn State gets Ohio State in Happy Valley. Three, Michigan is in Ohio State's head. Can you convince me that's not plausible? Welcome to 9 and 3 therapy. Um, I'm Dr. Doug, and I'll be here to help you through your 9 and 3 fears. Uh, it definitely could happen. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the worst is possible. Um, they would have to be the team, the, the team that we don't think they are right. Then I, when I was going nine and three in 2019, it's like, Brian Day's never done this. Justin Fields never done this. Right. I, I just don't know if it's going to be as easy as people think. These guys have done this. CJ Stroud's done it. Jackson Smith and Jigba has done it. Um, Dewan Jones has done it. Luke Whippler has done it. Paris Johnson has done it at a different position, but he's done it. Denzel Burke has done it. Ronnie Hickman's done it. Now they need a few more guys to come along, but there was a side of the ball in 2019 that we just didn't know. These guys had never been through it. We knew Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and that defense was going to be pretty good. Probably. We just had no idea. Yes. There's a new defensive scheme and all that stuff. And yes, I think there's legitimate, reasonable, Talent questions still with the defense. That was how we ended the rant podcast on Wednesday. But Nathan, nine and three, man, they just, I would be shocked because yes, the schedule is difficult and I could see any one of those three individually, but for it to happen separately three different times, I feel like there would be a flaw with this team that even though, there are maybe questions about the defense. There would just have to be a flaw that we don't see right now. I, I, I don't know how we get to nine and three. It's well, I, I guess I could see how they could get to nine and three. The one quibble I would have. So this texture lays out three very kind of specific ways that this would happen. And the one thing that seems the least plausible to me is the Stroud part. Look at go back to last year. If we had gone into that season saying, like, well, how does Ohio State end up only 10 and 2 this year? Probably the number one thing on that list would have been something that we already felt like might be there, which is the defense is just something is maybe flawed, fundamentally flawed in the defense. And it costs them a game early 
and it just doesn't get fixed enough all year. Like if you were to say that, that to me is the thing you could go back to last uh, 2021 July and say that about the season that was coming. And it sounds, that sounds plausible. The idea of like CJ Stroud coming out and kind of like not having it. I'm, I'm, I think is much less likely to happen. I don't think that would be the reason why they would lose to Notre Dame. I used Spencer Rattler a lot going into last season of, hey, look how slow he started. And then he got together, and now he's this, that, and the third going into year two. Well, in year two, he kind of fell off a cliff there. I'm not using that part of the Spencer Rattler story. I would like to be clear. I am using the comparison when it proves my point, but when it does not prove my point, I am no longer using the comparison. That's how you podcast, Stephen. Shaka-laka. Yeah, I am not using that part of it. I don't think there's any chance of that happening whatsoever. I agree with the idea of one of these three, three things can happen. And I like the order they put it in because that's the, maybe you flip Penn State and, and Notre Dame, but I feel more comfortable about that, about that the Penn State game was a night game. That's the order of likeliness I see it happening. Maybe Stroud, Stroud's going to be really good this year, but maybe he's just off. Maybe he does have the Indiana game that Justin Fields had. He just has it against a better opponent than what you know Justin Fields had, even though Indiana was pretty decent that year. I just the Michigan one's hard to get behind because it's one win in a decade. And Michigan's already in Ohio State said they do something every single day that's dedicated to that program. So I just don't see that becoming a long time thing where that should be in anybody's thought in mind that Jim Harbaugh has now flipped that rivalry where now we should just be expecting Michigan to be in Ohio State's heading them to win games now. But like I said, I, I, if you want to tell me Ohio State goes 11-1 and one and they lose one of those three games, then fine. But I just all three of those things aren't happening at the same time. Yeah, I'd like to – I don't want to put out there that, like, Stroud is invincible in some way because, again, I was I, – I brought it up, and, Stephen, you just reminded the way 2020 went for Justin Fields. It looked like he kind of might be invincible. It looked like he was going to do yeah. just, like, some <laughs> some video game stuff all year, and then it, 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 it corrected. But what's the worst game C.J. Stroud has had since he took the week off last year. Like, has he had a bad Nebraska, game? Right? Nebraska? I yeah, guess, Nebraska. I guess, yeah. So, and that was a game where he didn't have Garrett Wilson. So there were some other and factors he, he also there doesn't that have Garrett Wilson that. this year. He also doesn't have, but I'm saying <laughs> that was, it was a departure from the routine last year. And also, yes. Dewan Jones ate the bad biscuit and that threw things off of the offensive yeah. line. Like, there were other things going on that day. Uh, so I'm not, it's not an excuse, but it's just, those were factors. So I just, I still have confidence in CJ Stroud being the, 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 like the steel that reinforces the foundation of this, of the, of the, the high floor that this team has. And the thing is, that was a bad game for him, and he still had 405 passing yards since we touched down. So, exactly. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> but, I was going to ask not, you. Guys, I mean, it's not, a, when we have a conversation like this, it's not a stat conversation. Yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah I do know. they have a chance to lose conversation? And yeah, they, right. that game was much closer than people thought it would be. Yeah. I okay. just don't know. That, I don't know if that game comes in week one when you spent nine months preparing for it. Now, if you want to tell me it comes in week like five or six, yeah, because this is sports and people have bad games. And the Bra- that was also Nebraska neutralizing the run game a little bit more than Correct. Ohio State had seen at that point. It was kind of a harbinger of maybe some things to come. I was going to ask you guys of these three things, which one you think is the most likely? Well, but uh, but we've sort of had that conversation. The question is, are all three together? Because I like, no, no, the, the, that's the thing, because th- this is a this is a nine and three question. Yeah. So I think we all think, as Stephen has, sa- has been saying, you can have a bad game. Right. 
hey, Penn State, Penn State's a tough place to play. Hey, it's a mm-hmm. Michigan rivalry. Hey, Notre Dame's pretty good. But it's the idea of all three. I, I have a terrible memory. I have a terrible memory. Was it, I remember though, there was a point where when we would talk about Ohio State's flaws and the, maybe I think the Ohio State defense, was it 2020 where I got to the point where it was like, I don't know, Justin's the answer. Like the offense is the answer to everything. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? I don't know. The offense will solve it. So that's the thing. I think that's a kind of fair. It's what you guys have been saying. It's a fair way to look at this year. Yeah, there's a lot of things. But I'm going to imagine even when things go wrong, most of the time, the answer is C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And that's the answer. So you're going to have to tell me three times there's going to be other things that go so wrong that C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Ryan Day can't solve it. That's the part that if, you, if the offense is so good, right, and why would you not believe that? Then I just don't know how it happens three times. And that's the fundamental difference between what 2020 was and what 2021 was, is that in 2020 it was, okay, they're not getting home with sacks. The coverage is kind of iffy. So what? J- Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, talk to me later. Last year, even with that offense, the more conversation was, is the defense going to get in the way of that? And now we're back to, who cares? <laughs> They've got C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Travion Henderson. I think the 2022 Ohio State Buckeyes don't lose the Oregon game the way that team lost it because yep. that was second game C.J. who had the yep. ball in his hands at the end of the game and made kind of a weird throw and got pecked on the sideline. You're not blaming hurt. him for that game, but he, he wasn't. He was hurt and he was young. And he wasn't able, they needed be saved that day, and he yep. couldn't save them. And also, Trayvon Henderson wasn't the starting running back yet. Correct. Now, Trayvon got the ball, staff, but and they, had, and they had a defensive staff that didn't make good in game corrections. But, but, but even be, but beyond that, but like, even Just, if you like have a terrible defense, yeah, yeah. the offense will save them. The offense couldn't save them because the offense was on the way to being this offense, which yeah. is year two, Travion Henderson, year two, CJ Stroud as a starter. I also think though, like, cause I know people don't want us to be too positive. <laughs> we, we each, th- we, we've said that there's a, you know, here are three things that individually could plausibly happen. We don't think together they would end up all happening to be three losses, but on this list are not Braylon Allen and Wisconsin, what they could do against this defense or, what um, maybe we're wrong and Iowa is better than we think they are. We're not and, wrong. And what Mel Tucker <laughs> scheme is on up. I'm just saying there are a few no. more landmines on this yeah. on this schedule than there were even last year when they did lose two games. Dante Demas Jr. and Rakim yeah. Jarrett eat the yeah. secondary for lunch. And Talia Tonga Vailoa has a Nate Stanley, David Blau game times three. Right. I mean, no, that's the very legitimate. But I still, I still assume, as much as we, I, I really respect Maryland's offense, I just assume that Ohio State then has to win that day like 58-48, right? That, hey, they couldn't stop Maryland's passing game at all. Yeah, that's why CJ had to throw seven yeah. touchdowns. It'll be like, I mean, Alabama's had some of these games in recent years, right? They have to beat Ole Miss or whoever, you know, 45 to 40 or whatever. Like that could, could totally happen. So that's why that's why uh, I would not for we'll, we'll wrap up our nine and three therapy session. I just think it happening three times with this offense is hard to envision. From the eight one three, what are your thoughts on white pizza? 
It's personally my go-to because I just love cheese and I'm not a giant red sauce fan. Some people think white pizza isn't pizza, just dough and cheese. And to that, I would say those some people are correct. There's only three ingredients. You can't take off one of the three. Oh, what if you just ate some cheese and some sauce, but no crust? That's my kind of pizza. What are you talking about? You can't just put cheese and sauce in your hand. I love, I think, I love sauce. I think cheese is the third most important ingredient in pizza. I think, I think I could have a 45 minute conversation just with myself about whether the sauce or the dough, the crust is more important, but. I can't even, I can't wrap my head around it. The sauce, because sometimes I think when you get average pizza, it's because the sauce is bland. Because it's like, ah, whatever. Like if you don't have any, if you don't have any juice to the sauce, any kick to the sauce, any flavor to the sauce, any little bit, let's bring me something. Maybe it's a little sweet. Maybe there's a little spicy, but whatever. Just bring me a little something in the sauce. No sauce is cheese bread, Nathan. Yeah, it's cheese bread. I, I, no, because when I saw this question, when I saw white pizza, I thought that meant, a white sauce. Sometimes you will get like specialty pizzas that have like an Alfredo sauce or a garlic sauce, a white sauce. I think that qualifies. I'm okay with that. It's not my, it's not my go-to pizza, but mix it up once in a while. And I think you can get a really good, we just had, there's a, a couple places here in Bexley uh, up the street that have really good pizza and that we just had one recently that was like, um, it was like bacon, and a white sauce, and I can't remember. There was some kind of vegetable involved. I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering now. Probably green peppers or something like that. No, it was spinach, 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 bacon, and like some kind of white sauce with with cheese and cheese and regular crust, and it was fantastic. So I think if there's a there, I, but th- there does have to be some kind of sauce involved, or otherwise you're right. It's just cheesy bread, which is good too. But don't tell me it's a pizza. I agree. That's what I thought. I thought when you said white pizza, it was like just with white sauce. It's just cheese and bread. It's just an appetizer. I'm going to be honest. I thought, I thought maybe you thought, what is this pizza that like Doug and Nathan aren't telling me about this white pizza? <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, they got their own secret pizza now. It's like, no. <laughs> so, so I do. Because listen, God, these people, these middle-aged white guys with their secret pizza. So, so I do. Uh, hey, Nathan, don't tell Stephen about the white pizza. <laughs> the, <laughs> Do you remember there's a scene in the office where Michael Scott is like buying pizza for everybody at the warehouse because he did something wrong down there. And he's like, oh, everybody can just come together over pizza. And he like pauses. He's like, do black people like pizza? <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you guys watch like, uh, have you seen the Key and Peele uh, skits? Yeah. All of them. Yeah. There's like a skit where they're doing the weather and they're talking about black ice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's just like my favorite skit ever. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's black ice, white pizza. It affects all of us. Um, as long you've got to have a sauce. Like I, every now and then you go to California pizza kitchen. There's like a Thai chicken pizza. I like there. And it's like, it doesn't have red sauce, but it has like this Thai sauce. And then mm-hmm. it's, like, it's got stuff, but it just, otherwise it's just, but like, if you need, like, if I want, if I'm having cheese bread, I want to dip it in marinara sauce. Then I want to dip it in pizza sauce. And then that brings it in, but I still wouldn't call that pizza. All right. Couple more kickers, kicker issues from the five, eight, five. Why can't the Buckeyes land another great kicker? The news 
may not have been the second coming of Lou Groza, but they seem to be looking at transfers or walk-ons since the second half of the Meyer era. I will take no slander of punters since we had some glorious years of Cam Johnson and Drew Chrisman. Drew Chrisman, who almost won the punting job for the Cincinnati Bengals. Steven, Jake Seibert was like the best kicker recruit in his class. So that yeah. is a wrench here, but I, I would acknowledge that I also think it's kind of odd that Ohio State has been become random transfer kicker of the week kind of since Sean Nurnberger got hurt and they started, I brought on that Duke guy and it's just, you're sort of waiting every year for some guy that you've never heard of to show up. I, I guess it's fine, but they did try to go get the best high school kicker in the country. and It hasn't worked out yet. Literally. He was the, according to his two, four, seven ranking, he's the number two kicker in the country. And I think he was number one at the time that he uh, committed to Ohio state it's weird because kickers and punters are supposed to be, you got one, you have one for four years and we'll worry about it later. But Ohio state has reached a point now where you got a kicker for some reason, it didn't plan out because you, you had to play him a little bit in 2020 and it didn't really show you anything. So you go get another guy who is the cast off from North Carolina and he ends up being all American, right? That's not enough. We have to go get USC's kicker. And now we're not even sure if he's going to be eligible to play or not this year. This, we joke about it consistently, the fact that Ohio State has three scholarship kickers, and it's the weirdest thing in the world to me. But it's not a problem because this offense doesn't settle for field goals anyway. So I actually look at it a little bit differently because it was a long period of my college football fandom where I would watch these teams. You would see like it'd be like the SEC championship game, and it's coming down to a field goal at the end. And it's like, here's Steve Jefferson. He's a second-year walk-on. That's the best kicker that Auburn has, <laughs> or whoever. I'm just making a name. But you're like, wait, what? And for a long time, I feel like teams neglected special teams in a, a significant way. And I think Ryan Day doesn't do that. I think Ryan Day sees we might have a weakness here. Go find somebody. Go bring in that transfer. I think he's less likely to sort of like rest on the laurels of like, well, this is who we have. And hmm. it's just a kicker. So we'll get what we can out of the kicker, especially with this high powered offense. I think he is more paranoid about that one kick they might need him for to the point where he'll go in. They've got three kickers on scholarship right now. If you include Jake Seibert as a kicker still two and a half, if he's half a cornerback, whatever. Uh, I, I feel like that he he does have a sense of urgency about this. And. Um, why take a high school guy that may or may not be able to kick 75% of his field goals when there's guys in the portal who you know can just get those guys in here and like take one thing off of the worry list. So we figured it out. Ryan Day is ruthless in the transfer portal when it comes to finding a quarterback when he starts his coaching career and kickers. And kickers. And it does make, you can always find one. Like if you're short at running back or corner or, receiver and you're like ah we'll find one in the portal it's like you hope you'll find one in the portal you'll always be able to find a kicker a good enough kicker and maybe it's harder to get a read off high school guys i don't think they'll stop recruiting high school kickers it's just been odd that they they've had a couple guys who haven't worked out the way they thought they were going to work and i will say it remains one of the more remarkable things that cincinnati made the playoff last year with one of the worst kicking situations in the country. Cincinnati last year as a playoff team, 128th in the country, nine of 19 on field goals. I was yeah. waiting all year for like, hey, Cincinnati is good enough to be a playoff team at every position on both sides of the ball, but not at kicker. And that's why they lost to Tulsa and they survived. 
Bam has been like that too in the past. They've yeah. habitually had some. I mean, we all remember the Auburn, you know, game where you know they missed a field goal and then they end up losing that game. They've habitually had bad kicking situations, but they win national championships every other year, so nobody cares. Yeah, and no, some I, of that, some of that was pre-portal era too. Alabama might fix that problem the same way Ryan Day is trying to fix that problem now. Why Ryan Day and Nick Saban have failed when it comes to recruiting kickers? Who who wants that? You guys can fight it out for that. That's a great. <laughs> we'll give it, to you. it actually is. We'll, we'll see if we can get it into the, into the clip packet in Tuscaloosa. See if we can get that on Saban's desk. See if he calls one of you guys personally. <laughs> who wrote this? But it kind of seems it 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 seems a little bit like a holdover from Ryan Day's NFL experience almost, where it's like you you're on a very short leash as a kicker in the NFL, yeah. and here there's always somebody coming in and it, it, you right like it seems like every NFL team every couple of years it's like well they're bringing a free agent in to to have a to try him out to compete against a guy that they have who's only made you know six of nine so far and that's not good enough like it, it's a little bit like that to me. Yeah, that, kicking that. At that- Kicking at the NFL level, I mean, it matters in college, but like it really matters in the NFL because like that decides basically half your games most of the time. That feels to me like that is worth asking about because in the NFL, there's always a kicker sitting on his couch who very well might possibly be better than your current kicker if your current kicker goes cold. In college, you can't do that. If your kicker goes cold in October, you're dead which is why they have three scholarship kickers because Ryan day thinks about it like the NFL and he figures I can't go get a free agent in the middle of the season. So I'll have extra free agents on my roster already. Yeah. We NFL, find that, got- that makes sense to me as a three yeah. scholarship kicker explanation for a guy who was in the NFL. I mean, in the NFL, you've got 53 53- roster spots and in college football you have 85 so what Mm -hmm. are you going to do with those other 32 if you're ryan day and you're thinking about it and like how do i populate a roster to to win a national championship i think i'm speculating here but i think he probably did the math that you can spend more of those spots on special teams to give yourself some insurance especially in years where you already know you're going to be under anyway so while we're saying why do they have three scholarship kickers Ryan Day said, yeah, we got three scholarship kickers. I mean, listen, to think about it. Like the way he thinks about quarterbacks is like, well, I can't just have one five-star quarterback because what yeah. he's not good enough. I need to have three. I need to have one in every class. So if he thinks that way about quarterbacks, why would he not think that way about kickers? You just blew my mind. You just turned the whole kicker discussion on its head. It's, it went from the most ludicrous thing I could think of to the most genius thing I could think of. It's Fuck still ludicrous, but like it makes sense now. If you didn't have scholarship limits, they might have nine kickers. Cause the other thing is there's one, if he goes cold, but it's also another thing. If he pulls his hamstring, mm-hmm. right? Like you, or you Blake, uh, yeah, Blake Hobbio, literally comes up, comes up lame before the Penn state game and huge game. And they don't have the only other kicker they have with them <laughs> is Demacio. Ryan day has done a lot of things that in the moment seem kind of crazy. But then, like, college football ends up proving him right. Like, the quarterback situation, when we were having our hole, you should go every other year. And then, like, we use Clemson as an example, and then DJ's not good, and they're stuck with DJ. It's like, oh. Yeah. They're okay. season tanked. Yeah. Yeah. While Oklahoma had Caleb Williams ready to go. Yep. I'm not questioning Ryan Day anymore. I have a Ryan so- Day question at the end that I'm throwing out the window. The man's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's what a look on Ryan Day's face or on on Doug's face right now. It's just like it's it's a little bit like Steve Carell uh, on the poster of Forty Year Old Virgin. There's just like this glow <laughs> of his on his face right now that he's just like had this this um, eureka moment thinking about the kickers. The, but you know that meme where it's the guy where he's tapping the side of his head like smart. Everybody uses yeah. that meme. That's, That's day. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna walk in. I, I want. I'm gonna walk. I'm, I'm gonna go Ryan three kickers and he's just going to tap his head. <laughs> I'm Actually, you should him. just, you should just walk in, get his attention and you start tapping his head and three we'll kickers. see if, we'll see if he can <laughs> figure out what you're referring to. He'll be like, you're talking about the what kickers, you, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. What do you think? He, what do you think Doug's referencing with that weird gesture? Probably like eight months. It took you guys eight months, but you finally got it. Three <laughs> kickers. Okay. Uh, we have something here about whether we have any confidence in Ryan Day. I'll skip that one. Let's do a red zone question. <laughs> red zone question. Nathan from the 980, how confident are you with the red zone offense this season? One to 10. Nathan. I mean, eight. What, what are the questions? So let's, let's, let's go there. Yeah. Steven, let's give your answer first. One to 10. What's your confidence level? Eight and a half. But I, yeah, I, I think these, this has to be more specific than like how much confidence you so, have. So, so, so neither of you said 10, Steven, what's, what holds you back from a 10? I mean, just because it's hard to get a 10, but like, where are the, where are the questions? I think Ohio States in the day era had some history with red zone issues. Uh, I, I'm like looking it up right now, since they showed up in 2017, they've only had one year where they've, you know, score touchdowns on 70% or more of their uh, red zone appearances. And it was in 2019 when J.K. Dobbins was running all over the place. And that was, like, ridiculously high. It was fourth in the country at 78.67. Any other year, they've been in the 60s. So it's, like, great passing offense, big play offense. If you make them drive and they go to the red zone, things can get a little funky sometimes. And so you have to, like, keep some room open for maybe some things get funky in some game this year. Yeah, listen, yeah, that's the thing. Like last year, I mean, they led the Big Ten in in scoring percentage in the red zone. They were at 92% almost, but they were only third in touchdown percentage. They were behind mm-hmm. Nebraska and Michigan State, 64%. They were just settling for too many field goals last year. It wasn't even a matter of like not getting points out of the red zone. It was just settling for too many field goals. And now with a – now you're missing Wilson and Lava. You can't like dismiss that. Those were two veteran guys that knew how to score touchdowns, especially Chris Olave. But you also have a healthy second-year C.J. Stroud. I think that makes a huge difference. I think this offensive line, we're projecting, but there's reason to believe it could be better running the ball in short-yarded situations than last year's was. Even though we're now seeing that, like, Nicholas Purdue Fair was pretty good. He's gonna He won a starting job in the NFL to start his rookie year. Thayer Mumford might have won one by now if he wasn't banged up. So whatever but with with the guys that they have playing guard this year the interior of this line they might be better at doing some of those short yardage running things um and trevin henderson's a year older he'll run the ball better you would think in the same scenario coming around the second time so that's why i think you know last year wasn't a catastrophe in the red zone but it was it was off enough that it they had to settle for too many field goals i think this year they turn more of those field goals into touchdowns so can you be the best offense in the country if you are 45th in the country in red zone TD percentage? This is, is what Kevin what, Wilson was talking about. They right? were last year. Mm-hmm. This is the Kevin Wilson argument that like, uh, don't tell me how many yards you got. 
tell me how efficiently you put points on the board. So, and now we're back to like, we're a little dent in the side of the Ryan Day vehicle a little bit here. He got, we put a spoiler on the back and put some flames on the side of the car with three kicker move. Cause I do think what both of you guys are saying, what's the biggest thing. I think this is what most people listening to this would say is it's the play calling. It's the, it's the theory of offense in the red zone that this is a, this is a pass for as much as Ryan, they do run it. The stats say they run it, right? They run it more than they throw it sometimes, not last year, but in other previous Ryan day years, they run it more than they throw it. It's not the air raid. It's not. But the vibe, like the, I think the heart and soul is still, it's a passing offense, right? You're not running the quarterback. And is that, especially the rough and tumble Big Ten, when it gets to be November, is that an issue? And I do think sometimes, Stephen, again, this is, I'm always on alert for like, all right, you got to run the ball in the Big Ten in November. I don't know. It gets cold. It's not a snowstorm every day. Can we relax? And then they played in a snowstorm in Ann Arbor and lost because Michigan ran it and they couldn't. I was like, oh, yo, you mean that? So it, it's not like it happens every weekend in November, but we have some specific examples where other teams ran it better than they did. And again, their stats generally are pretty good running it. Yards per carry, stats, Kevin Wilson, good. Red zone TZ, TD percentage, which is a reflection of the run game, Stephen, not so good. If, there were, if Ohio State was 45th in the nation in offense in any other category, we'd be freaking out. What's 45th with this offense? That's where they are in the red zone, man. I, I, I don't know that they automatically shake that. They run it more than they throw it, but there are a lot of times where they throw it in situations where they probably should have just ran the ball. And when it doesn't work, it's like loud. Like I remember the Michigan game to that point of like it's snowing outside. Uh, the first touchdown pass, that should have been a touchdown to Chris Olave. But CJ is a little bit late. It's a little behind. And I think the wind took it a little bit. So instead of it just being an easy routine touchdown pass that we've seen Chris Olave make time and time again, it gets batted down. And now Ohio State's got to set up for a field goal. But at the same time, the week before that, they threw a touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson in the red zone and Julian Fleming in the red zone. So it's just it, – it comes back to even what Justin Fry was saying when we first talked to him. You got to be able to run the ball when everybody knows you, you should be running the ball here. And right now they haven't been able to do that. They've had to rely so much on the pass that all it takes is one little thing to be off, and now you're kicking a field goal. But here's the other thing that ties back to the way we started this pod, and we were talking back with the Kevin Wilson thing. And um, so we're saying 64.4% touchdown percentage was not good enough last year for Ohio State. But you know what team was right below them in Big Ten rank in percentage there? Michigan, 61%. Mm-hmm. And Michigan still goes to the playoff. Michigan mm. had a defense that bought it more margin for error. And we saw that, I think, head-to-head in the Ohio State-Michigan game. So, again, I think last year's offense probably needed to be better in the red zone than this year's offense might need to be in the red zone, again, if the defense improves. If the defense gets up into that, like, that, you know, that nebulous, like, top 25 in the country kind of range, I think that helps this offense in real ways, tangible ways. So I thought maybe it was like, hey, this team was great at this in the urban era because they had like a running quarterback, right? And they're just kind of like a, a different yeah, thing. Really. And they were great at times in the urban era. Like, you know who was great at it? Braxton. <laughs> so yeah. 2012, they were second in the nation in TD percentage in the red mm-hmm. zone. 2013, they were first. What is that? It's Carlos Hyde and Braxton Miller. Right. We know what that looks like. 2014 national championship, JT Barrett, Ezekiel Elliott, they're 13th. 
So second, first, 13th in um, 12, 13, 14th, the first three years of Urban Meyer. 15, they're 38th. 16, they're 44th. Now we get Ryan Day as the offensive coordinator. 2017 with JT Barrett, they're 36th. 2018, they're chucking it all over the place. 66th, right, with Dwayne Haskins and and being a point guard. As you said, Stephen, fourth, J.K. Dobbins, Justin Fields in 2019, 57th in 2020, 45th in 2021. So we know what it looks like when they're good. They're not going to have a running quarterback. But part of this, part of it is a little bit on the tailback, maybe a little bit, right? I mean, like Zeke, all right, Zeke, go to work. All right, J.K., go to work. I I don't think it's – I don't even think it's first because I do think sort of philosophy play calling is probably first. And then I think – I think offensive line might be second. Yeah, How you that's scheme what it I was up and say. what you call then offensive line, then tailback. But there's some tailback there. But Travion can't solve this himself. But so they when they won the national title, they were 13th. Okay. I mean, we we're doing this with the defense. Do they have to be top 25? Do they have to be 20th? Do they have to be 10th? Like what the defense has to be for them to be able to win a national championship. Where do they have to be? Man, this is the whole podcast. I didn't know this question was so good. What a great question. Hold on a second. Who is this again? Who asked this? From this, no, who is this? Red zone confidence from the 980. Way to bring that juice with the question. 614 350 3315. Be a texter as smart as that. Great question. Where do they have to rank nationally in TD percentage in the red zone, Stephen, to win a national title? Can they do it if they're in the 40s, 50s, or 60s? No, top 30, I think, because the order of it, I think you're is you're on to something. It's play calling, offensive line, because you got to get the push, man. And then running backs, because even if they don't get the push, if you're an elite running back, the first guy's not tackling you. It doesn't matter where he's trying to tackle you at. And then quarterback is last, just because JT Barrett was Mr. QB power on third and one. And even they weren't, you know, 70% or higher TD percentage in the red zone, but top 30 and maybe even closer to the top 25. And you should be fine with the way this offense scores. Georgia was fiftieth in score percentage in the red zone last year. Defense first, yeah, defense first. I, and I also wonder, like, what the reverse of this is. I guess if you know, right, you know, you know how many touchdowns they scored in the red zone, and you know how many touchdowns they scored total. So then you know how many touchdowns they scored not in the red zone. I would imagine it's possible Ohio State ranks first in the nation in yeah. touchdown percentage not in the red zone which is a pretty good stat too. So that matters. That's how they're the best offense in the country while they're 45th in red zone TD, TD percentage. But, um, and it's funny. I mean, it's just funny how stuff works. And again, I, I sort of debate this a little bit. What was the overriding theme of the 2019 playoff game? Is that they didn't cash in in the red zone early in the game and then they lose to Clemson in a year when they were fourth. They were fourth in the nation in, T, in TD percentage in the red zone. Their percentage wasn't good against Clemson and they lost. So, they have proof that it matters. I almost feel like I, the one thing we want to track this season, we got to get all this stuff in order. I just feel it's like a fire hose at the start of the season, man. Feels like, oh, we had all off season to prepare. And then it's like, oh my gosh, the game's here. And there's 90 more things we have to do. We want to track true run pass, right? Bubble screens or runs, dropbacks that result in a quarterback running. Those are passes, right? True run pass. I want to track that all year. Nathan, I'm not sure like a people can see it with their own eyeballs, but some kind of red zone tracker that is very specifically, we know we all see it. We know people get asked about it, but every week we're going to say 
this is the their trips in the red zone. This is how many times they scored a touchdown. This is how many times they scored a field goal. And like, this is the thing that happened that led them to either succeed or fail in that situation. Because I don't know that before the last eight minutes, Nathan, that I realized this exactly was the deal and that it feels important. Thank you, Texter. Feels important and they're not great at it. Yeah, I was looking again, looking at the numbers last year, Alabama was 25th nationally in touchdown percentage in the red zone. So that kind of speaks to that that area that that Steven's talking about. But also, I think you mm, bring up yep. the best point, though, is that. Yeah, they're in the 2019, they're fourth, but you get into a game and you don't get it done in that game. Like, how different is that game if they turn one field goal into a touchdown? Like, it changes the complexion of everything. And maybe Ohio State's playing for a national championship that year. Maybe they get to go up against Joe Burrow. So it's it really we can talk about it in the aggregate, but it's we're probably going to end up talking about it in January or December as what happened in this one game or on this one specific play. Did they get it done or not? I have the stat. They scored 76 touchdowns last year, which was tied for first amongst Power 5 teams uh, with Pittsburgh. Uh, Western Kentucky had the most at 79. 50% of those came in the red zone, um, 38 of them, and the other 50% came outside of the red zone. So it's pretty much 50. That's pretty – I bet you – I don't know that That's, there's – do you think there's anybody in the country who scored more touchdowns from outside the red zone than from inside the red zone? That's actually something I would – there might be a team that had a higher percentage, especially if you go outside of the power five, but that sheer number of 38, that would be tough. Like, that's, that would be interesting to see how that's many three teams a week. Last, yeah. How many teams had more than 30 touchdowns outside of the red zone? Cause that's, that's big play scoring. Yeah. If you're outside of the red zone. So that's. Now you, there was a couple of def- like defense, whatever, I guess goes in there too. Yeah. And they yeah, had a couple but- pick sixes or whatever, but like you're still talking about almost three a week, yeah, coming offense. outside the twenty. I said, "Hey Ryan, um, second quarter, Jackson caught that pass across the middle, and it looked like he had a, he had a couple steps on the guy, and then he kneeled at the twenty-one. Uh, <laughs> any reason for that? So, kneeled the twenty-one, and we're taking four shots. We're throwing <laughs> four fades to Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> One of these is going to hit because we're not stepping inside. <laughs> it's a mental thing. It's like people yeah. who can't shoot three-pointers. You step one foot inside the line, all of a sudden you're Stephen Curry. One foot outside of it, you're Shaq. Yeah. We're, we're locking the three kickers in a closet, and we're going to either take four end zone shots or we're going to take three end zone shots and punt. But we are not going inside the 20, and we are not kicking a field goal. I'm Ryan Day. Last question, and it's about Ryan Day. 859 from the 859. How confident are you guys in a scale of one to 10? Can I say I love scale questions? Pinch you down. How confident that Ryan Day wins a national championship with the next five seasons? Secondly, is this necessary for Ryan Day's tenure to be successful in the eyes of the administration and fans? Five years. So that's 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, right? So that's potentially two years of Dylan Rayola starting, right? If Dylan Rayola starts as a sophomore and a junior in 25 and 26, is that right? Um, if you are consistently getting the best quarterback play in the country in this modern era, and you are in a competitive conference, but not a roadblock conference like the big 10, which means I don't know that there's ever going to be a big 10 team like that rose up like Georgia and LSU have, right? 
in the last five years. It's like, hey, Alabama, why don't you win more titles? It's like, well, did you see Joe Burrow and did you see N'Kobe Dean? That's why. Well, I mean, USC they've won plenty. Big Ten. So what's that? Maybe. Yeah, USC's no, USC. Big Ten, so. USC. Well, your point taken. That might change that conversation at least a little bit. It honestly might, especially if while we have USC in the Big Ten before you get to an expanded playoff, if they don't expand mm-hmm. before 26. If we have four more years of a 14 playoff and two of those four years, USC is in the Big Ten and maybe Notre Dame's in the Big Ten, that changes the conversation a little bit, which has to factor into our one to 10. The quarterback play holds back so many other places unless you have a generational defense. The quarterback play eliminates. Why did Oklahoma fail last year? Because their quarterback play was worse than expected. Why did Clemson fail last year? Fail by their own standards, not make the playoff. Because their quarterback play wasn't as good as expected. How did Georgia survive it? Because they had the best defense in a decade. That's such a starting point for Ohio State. And you take your shot, you take your shot, you take your shot, you take your shot. How confident am I that Ryan Day and Ohio State win a title in the next five years? 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. I'd say an eight. Steven, where are you? Seven and a half. Because you have to have multiple shots. The thing is you can't key in on one year, as much as we said the 2023 team is going to be the greatest team of all time. You have to give yourself multiple shots. So if somebody gets abducted by aliens, so if a super team emerges, if a ball hits a guy in the helmet in your semifinal, right? You have to give yourself multiple shots. So... In your one chance, if something goofy happens, that doesn't mean, well, that's it. So I do think Ohio State's a multiple shot kind of team, right? They took a shot in 2019, and then they didn't convert, and they lost a chance to go to the title game, but Joe Burrow is probably going to be in their way anyway. 2020, they got their shot, and they got the national title game. Last year, they were a playoff caliber team with some flaws, and Aiden Hutchinson and C.J. Verdell and Blake Corum and Mike McDonald and Joe Moorhead said no. So it's hard because if we had done this question when Ryan Day took over, Nathan, I feel like the last three years, Ryan Day's three years in, three pretty good shots, right? Talent level is there. Quarterback play is there. Reasonable shots, 0 for 3 in terms of titles. Now you got two more years to do it. So now we're spinning that forward. Well, is he going to do it in his first five years? That's not the question, but you can use that to influence how you look at the next five years, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. What's your number, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, those these first three years are why it's hard for me to put a number higher than like a six on this. I mean, Ohio State has won two in 20 years. And I think so then I think saying that they have a better than 50-50 chance to win one in the next five years is is pretty good. Like, remember, that 2019 team, that might end up being as complete an Ohio State team as we see. Like, that team was phenomenal, but they had it. It was like the wrong night. And even if it wasn't the wrong night, it was the wrong year, right? I mean, LSU was going to win that national championship. We saw last year that you can have the elite quarterback play. You can have phenomenal, a phenomenal offense and, and one that, that kind of paces modern college football and still not even get to the playoff. It's hard to make the playoff. Even if you're as good as Ohio State, you can't completely take it for granted. So I think I'm going to say a six, but I think that's actually a pretty good number to put on it considering – both recent and two decades of history now. I think part of the problem is outside of 2019, because Nathan's right, that's one of the more complete teams Ohio State's ever had. There's a hole you can poke in yeah. every year because of some type of miss in recruiting and building this personnel. So because nope. even next year, it's like, oh, they might be the greatest team of all time. Who's protecting Kyle McCord's butt? We don't know if, if Paris Johnson and, and Dewan Jones do what they're supposed to do. Well, and frankly, is Kyle McCord 
I have no reason to like disparage the guy, but we don't know yet what his well, level of production but, is going to be. But, but you know, but you don't know anything, and they have a five star. So like, yeah, I think so, all you can do is stack five star quarterbacks it, and assume yeah. you're going to be ahead of the game because you can play. We don't know how good the five star quarterback who's never played is going to be. You can play that with everybody every year, but you'll take Ohio State's room over most, over yeah, any, it, probably. At least you have a name there. It's just more of the places where you don't even know whose name you want to put there because they haven't recruited it. And so that's what I think Ohio State kind of needs it to happen because I do think there is something the championship juice. And I, especially if they get it this year. Now, you can't do anything about the 2023 season because you're not going to start a 2023 left tackle who's a true freshman. You're just not going to do that. But Going for if you if they get it and they get some of that championship juice back, that can help you win the next Caleb Downs. That's true. It's like you almost have to win one to win another. The other yeah. thing is, how many would you mark Saban down in the next five years? How many would you give to Saban? Two? Yeah. I mean, I would give him more like that. No, not a number, but how many titles would you give Saban? Would you assume Alabama's gonna win in the next five years? Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. So there's three left for Ryan Day to get one of those. It's not really a question of can Ryan Day win one of the next five years. Can it's can Ryan Day win one of the three that Saban doesn't win. Which yes. is why I think six is still a pretty My liberal, eight is high. Yes. My <laughs> eight is high. And I guess the question is, what's the question? The question is, what's the question? How confident? I guess my confident, I guess my confidence actually still is an eight because I think stacking quarterbacks puts you ahead of the game. And you just paid $2 million for a defensive guy you think is going to fix your biggest problem. So keep doing that and you'll take your shots. So maybe mathematically, anywhere outside of Tuscaloosa, you can't give anybody more than a six, right? That might be the right answer. You're giving two out of five to Saban off the top. And now you also have to deal with Lincoln Riley and you know Jim Harbaugh and everybody else in the world. So maybe it's crazy to go higher than six. But if you're going to go higher than six with anybody. It's the team who has the best shot because Georgia still got to get through Alabama every single year to do some of this stuff. Ohio State doesn't have to face them until the playoff. And Clemson's got is in more prove it mode this year while USC is trying to get it together. Their, their conference is good, but not yeah. too good. And they stack quarterbacks. And they have a, and their head coach is a schemer offensively. So you're not relying on, Hey, our offensive coordinator left. What are we going to do? Which again, mm-hmm. I think is like a huge thing. And I don't think Jim Knowles is going anywhere. I think there's a, if you were going to bet on who's the next Venables, give me a coordinator who stays at his school for 10 years, who's at his school 10 years from now. Give me any coordinator in the country. Who's at his top 25 school, 10 years from now. Did you bet Knowles? We're off the top of our head. That yeah. sounds like another Buckeye talk. You might bet Knowles. He's 57. Is he going to leave to be the head coach at? I think he scratched that itch already. Maryland too, of yeah. like being a head coach, and so he was the head coach at his alma mater, which is cool. Yeah. But I think he kind of maybe has found his role and knows mm-hmm. it, and he's making a lot of money, and he has a chance to win a national title. And there's very few schools where like you'd just be cool with only being the defensive coordinator. This is another Ohio podcast on that list. Can I just say these last two questions? Chef's kiss. My gosh. Yeah. Seriously. You go to other podcasts. The whole podcast is one of these last two questions. What are we doing? This podcast is so good. Not because us, because the great questions of our texters. Nathan, we'll give you final word. I was just going to say, does that make, what makes this a good podcast is that we will remember that. And it might be May, but we'll come back and do a whole pod about that question. Yeah. 
10 years from now, rank them. Coordinator most likely to be at his current school and top 25 school. Okay. One last quick break. That was 10 awesome topics brought to us by our tech subscribers. Wouldn't you like the opportunity to do that? 614. Write this down, people. 3503315. We love the texters we have. We seriously love them. It makes it so fun because you're not in a bubble. There used to be when you were journalists, sometimes, listen, you should be out talking to the people. But then when you got down to business, sometimes when you were writing, you could feel like you were the loneliest person in the world. And this texter thing, man, we're connected constantly. And this podcast, we're connected constantly. And it makes it so much more fun for us. 614-350-3315. Get on board. The season's here. We'll be right back after this on Buckeye Talk. Back for the final part of Buckeye Talk here. We just got back from interviews Wednesday evening. That's how this pod's mostly going to work. We're going to record more often than not a rapid fire in the afternoon. Then we're going to go to Ohio State interviews on Wednesday evening and give you a wrap up of that. Who do we talk to? We talked to Tommy Eichenberg. We talked to Jackson Smith and Jigba. We talked to Luke Whipler. We talked to Trevion Henderson, and we talked to Mayan Williams. And it felt like, Stephen, a little nugget of news. The guys were talking about the turf, right? And this is the new Ohio Stadium turf that was replaced in the offseason. It was kind of a big deal. I think they do it, what, like every seven or eight years? It was kind of, I guess, due for it. I don't know the specifics. Maybe I should. But it matters, I guess, right? It matters to the guys who use Ohio Stadium as their office on Saturdays. They said they were slipping around a lot. Last year, and Trayvon Henderson even brought up the fact that there were multiple times where he rolled his ankle, which, I mean, mm. this is the second time that he, we've talked to him. He's revealed this, that he was dealing with some type of injuries because he was playing football and stuff. Yeah. But Jackson Smith, the Jigwa, was talking about how much harder it was to cut. He feels like he can make smoother cuts. So just old turf, seven-year-old turf, and you've got guys trying to move around. We saw Mitchell Melton get hurt in the spring game, which was like one of the last, which was literally the last thing they did mm. on that turf. But yeah, yeah I, it kind of validated everything that we kind of thought about this turf already. It's old. Is it impacting this players? The answer is yes. And you want Nathan, I mean, Ohio state wants the best fastest turf possible, right? They don't want to grind this out. They want to get their elite athletes and let them go. But it's also one of these things. It And Ohio state replaced it, right? So they replaced it. I think again, this is, the normal schedule, roughly yeah. speaking, of turf replacement. But you yeah, can't I, you can't have unpaid guys who are trying to be millionaires playing on bad surface. Yeah. And I remember asking Gene Smith about this last winter, last spring, I, about the time frame of it, and that this wasn't something that got either delayed or complicated by COVID that this is just part of the thing that you budget for every X number of years. Cause, cause turf has a lifespan and a place like Ohio state with all of the resources it has should never probably be getting to a point where it's turf is a problem. Uh, but sometimes you don't know it's a problem until it's a problem. And then you can't really like just, <laughs> it's not like it's not like when the guys come and replace your carpet and they just pull it out and then staple it back in and they're done in, in four hours or whatever. It, it's a, a more of a process than that. So uh, this was already due to be done. But last season, I think definitely added some urgency to getting it done. I mean, and I mean, I don't even remember how many years ago it was now when Ohio Stadium had grass. If you have a bad grass field, you can tear it up and do something about it in the middle of the year. You can't do that with the turf field. I know our high school 
locally, replace the turf in the off season, and there were supply uh, supply chain issues, and our high school couldn't play its first game at home as scheduled because the turf wasn't ready. So um, you know, I I couldn't get diet vanilla Coke for a while either because of supply chain issues. We all have our burdens. So uh, Ohio State did it. It got it done. But it, this, is a, this is a front of mind issue when you're dealing with amateurs who aren't paid by the school in a gazillion dollar business who have their futures on that field every minute. And a bad step can absolutely change their futures. They owe it to those guys to get it done. So they got it done. But Stephen, I don't know. Did it sound... When when Travion and Jackson Smith and Jigba were talking about it, was it matter of fact? Was it oh, what a relief that they got the turf? Whereas they're like, I can't believe how bad it was last year. Like, I don't know. You could complain about stuff. What was the vibe as they talked about it? Somewhere between, I can't believe how bad that turf was, and I'm so happy they got this done. I think Travion Henderson even said okay. that at one point. I'm glad they got this done. It wasn't so bad to where. Last year, if we'd have been asking them about it, they'd have been saying, yeah, this turf sucks, and that's why we lost to Oregon. But no, it wasn't that bad, but it was bad enough to where, like, some of this is just you've got something new, and something mm-hmm. brand new always feels a little bit different. So it's it's a little bit of both of those things. It's you got used to what that turf was last year, even if it wasn't the best, and now you see what brand spanking new turf looks like and how much more you can glide, how much more you can, how much better your cuts are. Especially now, it's not in the back of your head that if you make the wrong move, as Travion Henderson said, if you make the wrong move, you might end up with an injury. That doesn't seem like that's something they're thinking about this year. So that was turf talk here on Buckeye Talk. And I don't know if we thought we were going to get that, but it matters. Trayvon Henderson, Mayan Williams. We discussed this previously on like, what do we think the Mayan Williams, Williams, Trayvon Henderson breakdown is going to be? Nathan, I think the vibe from both guys is like, hey, everyone's going to play. Nobody said Mayan's getting a third series, right? That, I, don't, I don't think that came up. I was at Mayan Williams for a chunk. I guess I should have said, you get in the third series? See what happens. I didn't. Um, do we get any kind of better information on playing? I definitely heard Trey said we're both going to play. Yeah, and I, it, it's a good exercise, and sometimes the more direct question is the question that should have been asked because I tried to ask Mayan Williams, like, so what do you like? What have you been told about what your role is going to be? And – he didn't give anything close to an well, answer. What's his answer? Like whatever, whatever the team needs, my role exactly. is whatever the team needs. Cause yeah. he's just, a, gonna, yeah. he's just a, a team player, but yeah. Which is a, the same thing, which is a perfectly fine. Answer. Okay. Yeah. yeah he which was is a like, perfectly oh, fine answer. Yeah he, yeah. he said that, Oh, we know what it's going to be. And if then you, he yeah. went into the whole, or we're a one-two punch thing. It's like, okay, but what does that mean though? Is you, are you like one and he's two, or is it more just like you're actually a one-two punch where you guys are rotating? Like they did my, I mean, when they did with JK and uh, Mike Weber, like tell us these information. They're just like, yeah, uh-huh, we're both going to play. Yeah. If I wanted to know that my Williams is going in on a third series, that is the, that is a question I should have asked. So uh, unforced error on, on my part, our part, whatever. And I haven't gone back and listened to the whole interview that he did. Maybe somebody eventually did ask him that, though. I haven't seen that or heard that from anybody else. And, I, I, you know, I don't know when they're told that. I don't know if there's a meeting the day of the game where they're told that. I don't know if they're told that already this far in advance of the game. I, I don't know that. But that would have been another question to ask, I suppose. Do you know, did either Mayan Williams or Trevin Henderson say, whether they knew where Jim Knowles was going to be on Saturday in the box or on the sideline. <laughs> Another thing that we should have, we didn't do our jobs tonight. You know, that's what it boils down to. We get on this pod. We say these things. 
We failed tonight. We failed is, our listeners. Tonight. It is one of those things. I mean, like sometimes you're in pursuit sort of of quotes for stories and sometimes you're in pursuit of information. Hey, what's yeah. going on with this? So um, listen, it's early in the season. Everyone's working out the kinks. It's okay. So you're going to see Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson. We didn't necessarily learn anything about that. Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's good at football. Steven, vibe from Jackson Smith and Jigba on Wednesday night. I mean, he's Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't know if he's interesting. Right now, I think the more interesting thing is to ask him defensive questions to try to get information of who he thinks is good. Mm. And so I went, who of that secondary gives you the hardest time? Just because if they can give Jackson Smith the Chigma a hard time, who's like, at worst, the second best receiver in the country behind Jordan Addison, then they should be able to give everybody else on this schedule a hard time. And in the order, he went Denzel Burke one, Tanner McAllister two, Ronnie Hickman three. And then he said Cameron Brown and uh, Jordan Hancock have had their moments as well. But okay. I think that's a, I mean, we think Denzel Burke's pretty good and we're still kind of, I think we're all, I mean, at least myself versus you two are on opposite sides of what Tanner McAllister might be this season. I think that's a vote of confidence that Tanner McAllister, the guy who had, he even said that I see Tanner the most just because he's the nickel and I'm in the slot and he does a really right. good job on me. Okay. That is worth, that is worth gathering. That's information worth yeah. gathering. Um, all right. So Jackson Smith and Jigba was out there. He's good at football and he is open to the idea of 2000 yards, which is, which was frankly the most important thing that we got from him this during this preseason was that he's thought about a 2000 yard season, which again, made everyone here on Buckeye talk. Very happy. Luke Whipler. We got Luke Whipler. We, I was joking with somebody else that Luke Whipler, there's just some guys on the team who are really good about like running through other guys. So sometimes you have a Luke Whipler interview and it's like, Hey Luke, how you doing? I have a list of 20 other players I'd like you to comment on. Can we do that? And now let's talk about you. What kind of pizza do you like? You're from New Jersey and you wind up like not. So I actually asked, I had asked Luke Whipler about Matthew Jones. And I asked, I also asked Luke Whipler about Donovan Jackson. And he was talking about how talented and athletic Donovan Jackson is. And he was talking about Matthew Jones and the way he fought and grinded it out and gave a speech about brotherhood to the team. And then I said, hey, what about this guy coming into second year as a starter, kind of been around the block a little bit. What have you seen from Luke Whipler? Because I don't, I, you get to talk about yourself. As someone who loves talking about himself, they should get to talk about themselves sometimes. Did he say it in third person when he answered your question? He did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then you could just quote it. And people would be like, oh, that center's really cocky, referring to himself <laughs> in the third person. So, um, but Nathan, I thought, you know, the one interesting thing, you, I, I always like when you can hear the coach in the player. It's like, again, it's like the pup, the hand of the back of the puppet. He was talking about the high standard at Ohio State last year, 10 and 2 in the regular season. He said, it make, makes me sick to my stomach. It was disheartening. makes me sick to my stomach. But he likes that that's the standard, Nathan. And I, I think, again, it, he meant it. It's the same kind of thing that Ryan Day said. Ryan Day, you know, said at Big Ten media days. But I just think it's interesting to hear players express that. He seemed like he was sick to his stomach. He almost said it in a like just like a disgusting way when he was talking about it. That again, that's a year that's not good enough for Ohio State. Yeah, you know, you could definitely hear the like the bile in his voice there. Um, that that's something that is is as we I think suspected was going to trail into this season with them. And I don't know that you, you know, we talked about this, like how, how you don't, these, these stories about, you know, uh, or, or these phrases about finding silver linings. It's not a silver lining that Ohio State 
fell short of its achievements last year. But whatever time those players have here, so for in the case of Whipler, it could be another couple of years. There's players where it's going to be another four years, but they're not going to take anything for granted. And I think that the standard has been hammered home to them in a way that hadn't been before hadn't been before they experienced those mm-hmm. losses. And, you know, we've talked before, you know, when I got here, 2019, it was coming off of the 2018 season. That was just a catastrophic, like bottom fell out of it from a defensive standpoint, really. And you could tell though, those guys spoke about that defense in the same way about that falling short of that standard in the same way. And I, you, you hear some echoes of that in the way that this team talks about just whether or not they won those games or not last year. And specifically that game is going to haunt them obviously more than others, but the 2019 team was going to be good regardless. But I think that that 2018 experience helped motivate some of what we saw in 2019. One of the other things that came up again is everybody asked Luke Whipple about everybody else. He was talking about Trevion Henderson, Stephen, like how smart Trevion is, his understanding of the offense, his understanding of the game, the way he sort of reads blocks and lets you know a guy like Luke Whippler set up his block and knows exactly where to go. We have to have that conversation about the intelligence of this offense. We've had it a lot about C.J. Stroud. We've had it a lot about Luke Whippler. I think a lot of the questions that you have asked, and you're getting ready to write a story before the game on Saturday about the connection between CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think there's a lot of intelligence in that relationship, but I thought it was interesting to hear a center talk about how smart the running back is in his understanding of the offense and reading blocks and doing those kind of things. I wish he had been, I'd have known he was talking about that when I was standing over there with Travion. I'd have, you know, asked Travion about some of yeah. that stuff, but yes, I, I, we've, we've had this conversation off air some as well. This, this idea with Ohio State and how the mind is almost the most important thing with some of these positions when and what they look for. I mean, we've said it with Stroud. We've said it with Luke Whippler, Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Jordan Hancock has come off as a guy who's got a high IQ, and the coaching staff said that as well. So just add Travion Henderson to that list. And that's, that's almost a thing in its own right. Of it. It, 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 When you start breaking down the qualifications and what it takes to play, play at Ohio State – you know, where does a player's football IQ maybe rank on that in comparison to just his natural God-given talent? All right, Nathan, anything else that you heard that we need to cover on our Wednesday night breakdown? So I thought it was interesting. Earlier in this podcast, we talked about short yardage success and how crucial yeah. that was going to be for Ohio State. And I we recorded that before we went to these interviews and I almost wondered if like Luke Whippler had a bug planet or something, because Mm. it was a, it was a big topic of conversation for him. And to one of the things that jumped out to me was like, when they hear he's, what was the exact phrase? He said like, when, when they hear when like Quinn Temple announces like, all right, short yardage or whatever in practice, he said, our antenna goes up. Like they kind of see that as, a, a thing where they want to shine this year. Like they, they want the ball in that scenario that last year, maybe they didn't feel comfortable in that situation. And now they've been working to feel more comfortable. I think the exact quote was <laughs> the exact quote was it's more of, all right, here we go. Not. Oh, Oh, crap. I, he said, Oh, S word. Yeah. But I didn't know what it was about. Oh, it was actually about, about a relevant thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I zoned out for a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, oh, that's asked, very relevant. And then he asked, excuse my language. Um, but but definitely, I just, it was uh, interesting to hear that the things that 
again, like Kevin Wilson was talking about, uh, that sounded like coach speak to us in some ways is getting coach speak to the right people mm. because they are sort of, I think, embracing that identity a little bit that, you know, the, 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 the big numbers are going to come, especially in some of these games. What happens when there's one play that decides your season? Do you get that yard or not? That two right. yards or not? Okay. That is our breakdown off the Wednesday night interviews. That's how this podcast on Thursdays during the season, more often than not, will go. We'll have a chunk that we are able to record Wednesday afternoon, whether it's a rapid fire Q&A or whether it's some other theme or something we're dealing with. And then we'll try to give you that updated news as fresh as you can get it. So when this drops Thursday morning, you hear what everybody had to say on Wednesday night when we go to those interviews. We will be coming back with Friday podcasts. We'll have a Friday game preview that you guys have been accustomed to. That's the three of us breaking down the game what we think is going to happen. And then we'll have the separate gambling podcast. That's going to be me and Tyler Shoemaker. We'll talk about betting the Buckeyes, the line, the over-under for the Ohio State game, maybe a couple other things. And then we'll make some picks around the country. Um, Again, it's not only for gamblers, because I think I I just, I like hearing people potentially fail. So sometimes I've said, I go back and listen to gambling podcasts after the games have been played, just so I can hear somebody say, and that's why I, this is why people love nine and three Doug, because it was a spectacular failure. So that's what you can do here. Think about all the times I'm going to be wrong because Tyler Shoemaker is going to make smart picks and I'm going to make little Dougie picks. And you know what those are like. That'll be on Friday, Saturday night. The three of us will be there. We'll be podcasting after that game. Thanks as always to you guys for listening for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>